Welcome to the LSQ Podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and our vision is to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from Sunday worship and the occasional bonus content. We hope you'll subscribe. Today's scripture reading is from John chapter 15, verses 26 and 27, and John 16, verses 7 through 15. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you must also testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Franny. Good morning, and uh, welcome again to... Redeemer Lincoln Square. We are in our last month before the fall gets underway. And what I'd like to do is do a little mini series on the person of the Holy Spirit, third member of the Trinity. And I want to do this for a number of reasons, one of which is because there's a lot of confusion in the world, outside the church, inside the church, about who is the nature of the Holy Spirit. Some churches are afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit, and I think part of the reason why is because there is confusion about all these aspects, the nature, the person, the, the purpose, the point of the Holy Spirit. Other churches talk about the Holy Spirit all the time, specifically about the experience and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what I would like us to do to start today is I want us to just start with one simple question. Who is the Holy Spirit? What is he about? What is he doing in this world? And I think we can start with, what we should start with is this passage, because in this passage we have Jesus talking to his disciples, trying to help them understand the purpose and the point and the reason for the Holy Spirit. And the context is in this this book, this is in the book of John, this is right before Jesus is about to be arrested, and so This upper room discourse, he's trying to go through the most important things he wants the disciples to remember. And he says, this is how I want you to live. This is how I want you to act. This is what I want you to do in the world, to change the world, to be change agents in the world, to be the individuals who will be the movers and shakers in the world. And then he kind of slips in this, in verse 7, this, oh, and by the way, I'm leaving you. In other words, I want you, I know you're illiterate kind of fishermen. I know that you are undereducated. There's no formal training in your life. You're ill-prepared for this to change the world. 
but I want you to do this, and by the way, I'm not going to be around for when you do it. And I think a lot of us might feel the same way in this life. We say, I'm ill-prepared to do what I've been asked to do. I don't know how to do it. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is, how does Jesus encourage his disciples? And maybe we can find encouragement for ourselves as well. And I think all through this, we can find out the nature and the purpose and the point and the person of the Holy Spirit. So we can break this text down into three parts. We're going to look at how the Holy Spirit convicts, comforts, and brings companionship. Convicts, comforts, and brings companionship. And if you need the text, you can, all, you can uh, go to our Redeemer app and you can put, uh, you can get the bulletin there if you need to see the text to keep going through it. But in our particular text, the first point is the Holy Spirit convicts. And we see this in the first verse in our text. It says that the Holy Spirit is the advocate. And this is a very particular Greek word. It's a compound word. It's the word parakaleos. Para means to call. And kaleos means alongside. And so a lot of people have interpreted that that, that means the Spirit come, is somebody that you call to be alongside you. It's actually the other way around. It's a legal term about somebody who is actually by your side but is calling and is speaking and is, is talking before a judge your case. And what's ambiguous is, is, the, is the person, the prosecutor against you, or is the person your advocate for you? Is the person, and, and what you're finding in this text is that Jesus uses this term that is a legal term. Notice in the, our text later on in the same verse, it uses the word testify. The Spirit will testify. Then in verse 8, it says, And when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. And the ESV uses the word convict. It doesn't just come. He convicts the world of these things. Why? If you go to verse 9, it says, Because the people do not believe in me. That the people do not believe in me. So, you know, add all these things together. The first way Jesus wants to describe the, the Holy Spirit to his disciples is to use this, these legal terms, this imaginary courtroom, where the Holy Spirit is the prosecutor telling every single person in the world that they do not believe in him, that you do not believe in me, that there is, at, at the center of our hearts is unbelief, unbelief. And this is important, that the persons that he's talking to are the very people, his friends, who probably be- say they believe in him the most. And yet, he says to them, the Spirit's coming into the world, and by the way, you're in the world, and therefore the Spirit's coming to you to convict you that even though you say you believe in me, you don't. Maybe you're not a Christian here this morning, and you have this, this, uh, this view, this stereotype of how you always see Christians out in the world, and they are, they're always telling non-Christians, you need to believe in Jesus. And that's part of the story. With, they, with the other side that they tend not to say as much, which is that they don't actually believe either. This is a core Christian tenet that the heart of every single non-Christian in the world is unbelief. And what I love about living in New York is most New Yorkers will tell you to your face, yeah, I don't believe. But at the same time, the core of Christians is unbelief too. And you say, where do you see that? Well, ask, your, well, ask Christians. I mean, why do Christians still have a spirit of anger? Why do Christians still prioritize themselves? Why do Christians still throw themselves into their work for their identity and for 
uh, ways to feel better about themselves? Why is it so easy to denounce somebody else for their wrongdoing, but then we give ourselves a pass because we're complicated and because other people need to um, not be so hard on, ourselves, on, on us? Why is it so easy for us to see and play up the guilt and the harm that other people do to, do to us? We're seeing this all over the culture where we're always talking about the harm and the guilt of others, but when we do it, we say, well, listen, I'm, there's a nuance here and people don't really understand what's going on. Why do we do that? It's because functionally, we don't really believe in Jesus. You can say it. You can say you believe intellectually, but the way our lives and the way our actions live it out, we do not reflect him. Because if we really did believe and if we really did trust him, we wouldn't get angry to the same degree. We wouldn't need to prioritize ourselves over others. We wouldn't need to kind of throw ourselves into our work for our validation because we would have felt that validation from him. So I think what Jesus is trying to say here is, hey, I know you say you believe. I know you've been walking with me, but your heart and your actions prove otherwise. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus does what everybody should do if you love somebody else. If you see somebody destroying their lives through their actions and their, 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 uh, their mentality, their way that they think, you don't leave them in that. You try to use your time and your abilities to convict them of where they're wrong, about where their lives are destroying themselves and others. You try to convict them, and Jesus is saying that's precisely what the role or one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is in your life, is trying to convince you of your guilt and unbelief. And so before we move on, I want to ask you, has that happened in your life? Do you feel con- convicted of that? I had a friend uh, a couple months ago who, in a, in a moment of real honesty, said, Michael, I, uh, I, I feel guilty all the time. This person's not a Christian, and he says, I just feel guilty all the time. What do I do? And I, on the moment, I was like, well, you know, It depends. Some guilt in your life is invalid. That's true. But some guilt is valid. If you really did do it, then that's how you should feel. And what we're learning here is that actually it's possible that if you have those senses, it might be actually a sign that the Holy Spirit is working on your life, cross-examining you, questioning you. That's what we should see. We should see evidence of that in our lives. Because at the end of the day, you can't believe in Jesus as your Savior if you don't have a need to be saved. And you're not going to have a need to be saved unless you can articulate what you need to be saved from. That's what we find here. And because of that, because we need to be first convicted and convinced and converted to our need, the Holy Spirit's up for that. And some, I mean, that's not a pretty job, is it? It's kind of a down and dirty job, and the Spirit is like, sign me up, I'm for that. That's what I'm here for. Number one, to convict. Now, he's here for that. Now, but number two, to comfort. He's here to convict, but also to comfort. You say, how? Well, in our passage, there's all these other places where it says that, uh, that, that the Holy Spirit comes into your life and is doing something else other than just convicting. Go back to yourself. If you're actually, actually feeling convicted, that you feel like I actually don't love people the way I should, if you actually feel that guilt, what do we normally do? I'll tell you what I do. I tend to open up a big tub of ice cream. I tend to get really down on myself. 
When I feel like I really have wronged others, and I, I, I'm, the cookies, the ice cream, maybe you're different. Maybe you're the one who gets the self-help book. Maybe you go work out. Maybe you try to ignore it or, or, or try some sort of self-actualization. But my question to you is this. What happens after that? At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after worship on Sundays. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastoral team and other members of our church community. If you have a question, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us at Q&R on a Sunday morning. And now, back to this week's sermon. What happens when you realize there's no amount of self-automization, there's no amount of self-actualization, there's no amount of mindfulness or hot yoga classes that will actually work? That at the end of the day, what happens when we're convicted of needing a Savior? What I like in in the book of John, we're early here in, in John, and right after Jesus dies and then is raised again. He shows himself to Mary. When Mary finally sees him, what does Mary do? He, like, she latches onto him. I lost you once. I'm not losing you again. And, but what does he say back? It's very curious. He says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Do not hold on to me. It's the very thing that he kind of says here in verse 7. He says, it's for your good that I go away. Which I, I keep always trying to put myself in the position. I mean, this, this is, you know, Jesus and you're like, how can it be possibly good that you go away? And this is where you find that the Holy Spirit is a comfort because in verse 7, 14, Jesus says the Holy Spirit glorifies him. The Holy, so the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. And most of us just, when we, if you read that, you just kind of keep on walking right on by because that, that's like a spiritual word. But the fact that Jesus says the Holy Spirit glorifies him, that means one of the functions of the Spirit is to spotlight him. If you ever go to a concert and you, you kind of look up and you see the spotlight, if you stare at I mean, the spotlight right here, <laughs> I just tried staring at it. Um, if you try to stare at the spotlight long enough, your eyes burn out. I, I'm seeing spots right now. I'm, I'm doing this for you all. I'm, you, I'm, <laughs> I'm seeing spots. Um, because of what? Why? You're not supposed to stare at the spotlight. It was never meant for you to stare at the spotlight. The spotlight is trying to spotlight something else for you. You're supposed to stare at what it's spotlighting. That's the main job of the Spirit. That his main love, his main purpose is to glorify. And to glorify means to focus on and to pay attention to and to spend time and space around in glory, Jesus for you, to your heart, to make Jesus known to you. That's the Spirit's job, is to platform Jesus to your heart as the only solution to the guilt and the shame and the suffering of this world to us. And the Spirit does You know why the Spirit does it? Right, because the Spirit could come into your life and here's a bunch of money, here's a bunch of acclaim. Why doesn't the Spirit give you that always? Because he knows that that's not what's going to be the thing that you're going to need to get through life. If you have this guilt and this understanding for a Savior, the only one who can really love and care and embrace you the way that you need is in Jesus. And this is why this is the ultimate comfort. It's the ultimate comfort, which is also why, by the way, 
When you get a lot of people, I know people that say, you know, I would either be a better Christian or maybe I would be a Christian if I could just see Jesus. If I could have just been there, maybe seen some of the miracles and seen some of the, uh, you know, the, the ways that he acted or, or hear some of his teachings. And what Jesus is trying to tell you in this text is, if you had been there, there were many times those people didn't. They walked away, not believing. That without the transforming experience that only the Holy Spirit can bring, you would not be changed. The apostles themselves had Jesus physically, saw the miracles. You know what they did? They still doubted him. They still denied him. They still fell asleep on him. Biblically speaking, it's only after the Spirit comes down in Acts 2 in Pentecost that they're changed and emboldened. And here's what's real comforting for us. Some of you say, oh, I missed out if I was just around 2,000 years ago. No, Jesus is saying, actually, you didn't miss out on anything because of the Holy Spirit. That means we shouldn't wish for signs and for wonders because ultimately that doesn't change you. Only the Spirit illuminates Jesus' true nature to us. And you say, some of you are saying, like, so what? Well, there's a lot of implications. Number one, it's never wrong to talk about the Holy Spirit. We're talking about him right now. But if we talk about the Holy Spirit to the exclusion of what the Holy Spirit's actually trying to do in your life, that's where we're actually going against the Spirit. To put it differently, if the role of the Holy Spirit is to, to, is to guide and declare and to glorify Jesus to you, and that's his ministry, that's, his pri- that's one of his functionings, then he's not trying to show you more about himself. I kind of like to, th- you know, I try to put kind of characters in a way. She, uh, the Spirit is kind of like that person who you might try to get to know, and all they want to do is point out somebody else in their midst. It's like, oh, geez, shucks. Okay, but have you met my friend Jesus over here? This is who I want you to meet. And that means then, this matters because if there's any teacher or church or organization that emphasizes the Holy Spirit over the work of Jesus, we should be suspicious of that because the Holy Spirit himself wouldn't want that because the Holy Spirit himself is spotlighting Jesus. Now, let me be careful. That doesn't mean we ignore the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean we don't talk about the Holy Spirit. Again, we're doing that now. But instead, we need to let each member of the Trinity function and be who they are. And Jesus is telling us that the Spirit's main character is that he desperately wants us to reveal and see Jesus and the love and care that's offered to us in him. And so, will we let him? Do we let him? I mean, this is where we evaluate our own lives. This is where we need to say, hey, do I put myself in positions and places where I let the Spirit reveal Jesus to me? Do we spend time with him? Do we pray? Do we think? Do we meditate? Do we commune with the Spirit? Do we put ourselves in the spaces where we think about the cross and the life and the work of Jesus where it becomes a comfort, not just an idea? Where it becomes a reality and not just uh, an interesting possibility or historical fact? See, most of us don't realize that the resources offered to us right now, I think, that, again, my worry whenever we, the problem with preaching to you in the medium is we're using our minds. But my worry is it just stays there. But the Spirit is showing you in this, if this is true, what's offered to us is that when we're tempted to overwork, when we're tempted to respond to criticism harshly or feel the need to cut off others, the comfort that you're having here is that the Spirit is saying you're free from those things. 
The peace of the Spirit allows us to face our own fears and the hurts and injuries that you've experienced from your family. To actually go into that space, which might be very scary. It lets us go into the deficiencies left to us by other people. In the Spirit, when somebody tells you how you might have hurt them, the natural reaction is to kind of to gird up and to fight back. But if in the Spirit, no matter how imperfect they might want to confront you about how you might have hurt them, when you sit in the love and the grace and freedom of Jesus the Spirit has revealed to you, you can have that assurance of that love that protects us to be able to enter into these hard spaces. I would argue that other faiths, other worldviews, even your own heart, doesn't offer you this. Everybody else in the world, the way the world, our minds operate is, if you do, then you're in. If you don't, then you're out. Right? If you, if you win, you're in. If you fail, you're out. Only Spirit sometimes shouting through pain and through other ways, sometimes whispering. The Spirit can whisper. Is speaking to you, saying you were out, but now you are back in. You were dead, but now you're made alive. All was dark, but now all is light again. And that light is this light of the Holy Spirit in your life, spotlighting Jesus, dying for your sin. And with that help, that by the way, that the Spirit's main job is to take that concept and not let it stay a concept, but move it and bury it deep down into your heart where it emulates and moves out into an identity and into, into, into your world, into where you can't think without those, those, those lenses on you. And there is no better comfort for us because of that. So, convict, comfort, lastly, companionship. Where do we see companionship? Well, there's all these uh, little phrases about how the Spirit's a guide and he's present and he's indwell and he speaks to you. Those are all companionship words. But go back to Mary. Mary's latching on to Jesus in John 20. The disciples, if I was a disciple, I'd be like, you're, <laughs> you're what? You want me to do this and then you go in there? What? There's this tendency to want to latch on. And yet Jesus has the audacity to say what the Spirit's going to do, the indwelling nature of the Spirit, as hard as it is for you to fathom that it's actually good for me to go. He actually says that. It is good for me to go. That means having the Spirit is actually better than having Jesus physically in front of you. That is a hard thing for us to see. Many had Jesus in front of them, didn't do anything for them. Nobody with the Spirit in them misses who Jesus really is. That's the assurance that we have. The Spirit get, it, it gives each of us access to the Lord of heaven in precisely the way that you need it, when you need it, as you need it. That's, that's powerful. And this is what Jesus is trying to say. He, he, Jesus was so fully man, dying in our place, that when he's risen again, there's only one of him. His point is, hey, if you hold on to me, then nobody else can hold on to me. But in the spirit, the spirit means we can have the presence of Jesus in our lives, always and now, every single one of us. It's kind of like... Um, my mom, tried, was, my mom and I were talking about this, and she was saying, you know, it's like if you go to a strange country, you walk to the border, and somebody says, hey, would you rather have a map where you have to figure out where to go and how to be, or would you rather have the person who lives in that country to walk with you and be a guide with you and show you exactly where you need to go and how to go and where to go? 
And the answer is always going to be, yeah, I'd rather have the person. And that's what we have with, with the Holy Spirit. But if that's true, then my question I want to ask you before we, we, we finish up is then what do we do with all the times that we believe in God but we don't feel his presence? I've told you before, that's the number one thing that I get asked by Christians, even non-Christians. They say, I might intellectually understand the concept of Jesus, but I don't feel anything. What do we do when we don't have those feelings? What do we do when we don't feel or experience the Spirit? Well, going back to our passage, before our passage, you might think what you need to do is just pray harder and think better, maybe get more emotional, maybe try to look for a sign or a wonder or something like that. And Jesus is saying, no, that's not what you really need. What you really need is the Spirit. And by the way, we're gonna, what we're going to do next week, we're going to look at the fruit of the Spirit. Then we're going to look at the gifts of the Spirit. We're going to try to look at and work through what the difference is between these things and how they relate to the presence of Jesus. But for now, what I want us to see is that if Jesus picked uneducated fishermen, at the very least what that's telling us, is what you need right now is not more content. It's one of the problems we have in New York City with a lot of educated people. We make the assumption, well, if I just get more content, then I'll be better off. And Jesus is essentially saying, that's not what you need. Some of us think, hey, if I just need a little more emotion, which actually, if you think about it, it's a different type of experience. Jesus is saying, no, that's not necessarily what you need. What you need is the Spirit. And the best way to know that you have the Spirit in your life, the best way you know is to see who the Spirit's pointing to. And the Spirit is pointing you to Jesus. And so if you find yourself wanting more of Jesus, needing more, desiring more, that is actually a a valid sign of the Spirit in your life. And if you're feeling like, I don't care or I don't feel anything, right? If If you say, I don't feel his presence, but you're still seeking and desiring and trying, the very act in desire for that is still an operation of the Spirit in your life. I remember when I first became a Christian, I went to my dad because, you know, dad's wise. And I said, dad, how do I really know I believe? Like, I believe, but how do I really know? And he goes, well, the fact that you're even asking that question shows that you are. Like this Jedi mind trick. I was like, (gasps) okay. Right, because he said, you know, person who doesn't believe would never ask that question, do I really believe? And there's this, like, this sense of of assurance and peace wash over me. And I was like, there's the spirit. The spirit's in my life. This is why I think this text is so profound, and I don't, I, I have to almost confess to you all. It's like Jesus saved the best for last right here. That yes, he died on the cross for your sins, and that's amazing because that means that you right now, today, are forgiven. And you need that forgiveness because when you feel that forgiveness, then you can go off and forgive others. And he rose from the dead, which is proof positive that the coming kingdom is real. And the hurts in the, in the, in the, the nast that we go through in life has, does not have the last say in your life. And there is a comfort in that, to know that death doesn't have the last say. And your actions in your, in, it is not the total evaluation on your heart. That's what's beautiful about the resurrection. And yet, as great as those things are, Jesus saves the best for last by saying, yeah, 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 it's great. But you and I are saying, well, what do we do in between? I have all this, this info. What do I do? And I think we've underplayed the reality that when the disciples are sitting there, when we're sitting here, what the daunting reality is, how do I live life in between the already but not yet 
in between the, the first coming of Jesus and the second coming, in between things not as they are and the things as what they should be, how do we live our lives? And Jesus is saying to them, it's not me physically with you. If you're wondering, if you're sitting there going, how am I supposed to live my life? How am I supposed to, who's going to guide me? Who will be with me? Who do I turn to? When we're here sitting right now saying these same questions, who am I supposed to marry? Where should I live? What should I do with my life? Right? What, What am I supposed to do? Jesus is at that moment introduces the Spirit. It's in that moment he says, hey, that Spirit that's talked about all through the Old Testament, Spirit shows up all over the Old Testament, right? Genesis 1, first thing, he's hovering over the depths. He's there at the very beginning. Let us make man in our image. Spirit's there. And the Spirit's at, in Isaiah, talked about in Isaiah 11 and 32 and 42 and Joel 2.28 and Psalm 143 are some of my favorite spots. But there, there's countless talks about the Spirit being the presence of God and Jesus' audacity to say, and that Spirit is now indwelling in your life, with you, residing with us. That's why I love verse 13. In verse 13 it says, and yet he will tell you what is yet to come. I love that. As I guess as a New Yorker, I'm very cognitive. I, I know, we always think with content. The idea that he will tell you what is yet to come, that means not everything's been revealed to us. That means that there's good news that we don't actually have to have it all figured out because he will tell you what is yet to come. That is an amazingly comforting statement. In other words, when we worry, this is saying you don't have to worry about what you don't know or what you can't handle or what you, you're not ready for. My, my mom used to say, you know, God doesn't give you enough grace to, hand, to, to be able to see out your entire life. He gives you enough grace to handle today for today through the Spirit. And then he'll give you enough grace for tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And that's what's amazingly comforting. If you let me be a little bit revealing right now, hands down, the hardest thing for me that's over the past couple of months about losing my father who, who died a couple of months ago, the hardest thing has been that I can no longer just pick up the phone and call my dad. I used to always just pick up my phone. If I needed some wisdom, I called my dad. If I needed some comfort, I called my dad. If I needed some encouragement or some nice words from him, I called my dad. And it's probably, it's the hardest thing. If you ask me, what's the hardest thing? That's the hardest thing. I, find, I, I regularly find myself pulling out my phone and then I burst into tears. And the grief, by the way, I'm not mad at the grief. The grief is a sign of the joy that I had in him. And I'm okay with that. But it just stinks of realizing over and over and over when I would normally seek him out to talk to him, I no longer can. And now that's the case for me. Try to imagine the disciples or Mary, in their grief of realizing they're not going to have Jesus with them anymore. No, and by the way, Jesus is much greater than my dad. (laughs) But I'm saying, just imagine how much more valid their grieving was. And yet, what does Jesus say? He says, take to heart, be at ease, that I'm giving you the Holy Spirit that will be more for your need and meet your needs and we more present and more active and more loving and more caring and more guiding than I could ever be alone. In fact, that's the one thing that I've learned. And that, that I think what was happening is that my father's presence 
And maybe the presence of those that you miss in your life or the things that you want in your life, that that presence we were dependent more on than the presence of the Spirit. In fact, the absence of my father showed me the need for the presence of the Spirit more. And the fact that my father became absent, I actually saw the presence of the Spirit more. I called out to him more. I needed him more. And I guess I want to ask you all, where is it possible in your life where you might not be seeing the Spirit right now because you're seeing something else more? Where is it that maybe you sought out the truth or the comfort or the care or the wisdom from something else other than the Spirit. And what becomes convicting for me is I wonder to what degree my satisfaction of what I was getting from my Father's presence was leading to, was a type of unbelief that affected to me listening for the wisdom of the, of the Spirit. I'm, I'm starting to shudder at how many countless insights and sweetnesses and cares that were being offered to me in the Spirit that I was ignoring and that I missed out on. Because I sought my, my father for insight. I sought Netflix for comfort. I sought work for acceptance. Instead of looking for the insight and comfort and acceptance from the spirit. Where might that be happening for you? To give you an example, it, it's possible you might feel like a fraud right now. I love New York, but New York is just one giant evaluation process on you, always telling you where you've added up or where you don't add up. There's this judgment happening everywhere. It's, I, I, uh, my daughter and I, yesterday, we got out of the elevator, and just the, the person staring at us was just looking at us like with, wanted to, with spite. The judgment was there, and I was like, what did we do? We, I'm sure we did something wrong. In high school, I tried out for the, the chorus, and 45 people tried out. 43 people made it. I was one of two who did not. <laughs> and we laugh about that. Those are the funny ones, because I don't want to go to the not funny ones. <laughs> what you need most is the true advocate and the true counselor and the true lover of your heart. And the Spirit wants to make him known to you. The Spirit is offering that to you. That you will never be rejected at the table of the Lord because the Spirit has made him known to you. He's there to convict you, but he's there to comfort you, and he's there to show you Jesus. That you will never be rejected because he was rejected. And I guess I, I want to end with, have you allowed that to be manifested in your life? Have you said in various in types of ways, have you spoken out and said, Spirit of the Lord... Reveal Jesus to me. Show me the acceptance and love in him. And so that I will not look for acceptance anywhere else. If you place Jesus at the center of your life, guess what? You're still going to miss your fathers and your mothers and your brothers. I still do. But spotlighting Jesus into my hurt and to my care reveals the sweetness and beauties that I could never imagine. That's available to us if you'll just see. If anybody asks you who's the Spirit, I hope that you'll answer now and say the Spirit convicts, he comforts, and brings companionship. That is what is offered to every single one of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that, I confess first that how often I did not seek you. I sought and lived through others. And 
got my satisfaction there. And there, there was great joys and loves, and I don't miss those spaces, but I miss you. And I'm looking forward to having more of you in my life, Holy Spirit. Reveal Jesus to me in new and profound ways that are offered, I pray. Not just to me, but to our congregation. Because if we did, when we feel that forgiveness, we'll forgive others. When we feel that love, we'll love others. And when we, when we don't feel the same need to focus on all of our needs and hurts and issues, then surprise, surprise, we'll be able to focus on the needs and hurts of others inside our church and outside. That is the expulsive power that will move out and change the world. And, and Father, we want to be here for it. Your spirit is here for us. And we want to be here for you. We pray for all these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray that it's a helpful resource as you process aspects of Christianity and grow in your faith. To learn more about our church, including details about Sunday worship, check out our website at RedeemerLSQ.com.